wants coffee? Who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee? And now it's time for the man with the caffeine, the new tropics for the brain. It's Coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. The new tropics for the brain. It's Coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Hey everybody, welcome back to Java Chat. This is Coffee with Mike, and today I get to sit with this gentleman over here by the name of Mark Hirschberg. And if you've never heard the name before, you're going to find this a very interesting story. And here's what I'm talking about. Two different sides. MIT championship ballroom dancer. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So we're going to have to hear. Uh, first off, thanks, Mark, for joining us today. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. You, you're going to have to you're going to have to lay it out for us, brother. How, how in the world does ballroom dancing connect with MIT? I I'm, I'm, I'm blind. How did that work? <laughs> what most people don't know is MIT has one of the biggest sports programs in the country. What? We are not known as a D1 school. In fact, we're typically D3 for okay. right. football, across standard things. We are D1 for crew, but we happen to be good in a bunch of esoteric sports. So, for example, we had, when I was there, we had the top bowling team nice. in the U.S., we had one of the top pistol teams. I think our sailing team was pretty good. Pistol team? Like as in target as shooting? In, as in target shooting, yeah. That's freaking awesome. So we have a lot of people who are good in these non-standard sports. Now, ballroom dancing, it's not an NCAA sport. Right. But we had arguably one of the top teams in the country. It's probably between us and Brigham Young has a pretty strong team. Harvard was good at the time. I think they've fallen off a little bit. The other thing about how this works, because it's not NCAA. The mere, the mere fact that these other schools that have this, I mean, you don't think of these things for, for any of these schools. Harvard? BYU? I mean. <laughs> well, you, you would think ballroom dancing would seem to go with Ivy League schools. Okay, but you don't think of ballroom dancing as something that's, that's, a, that's a normal extracurricular activity at, at, a, at a college. I mean, yeah, pistol, okay, maybe that's, even that in my own head is a stretch for any school because most, most schools don't really have shooting teams unless it's rifle. Yep. Uh, but that's, that's freaking amazing. And, and so you, you guys had the top team in the nation. Arguably, there was no direct head-to-head -head competition. We typically beat other teams. So we'd compete a lot locally in the New England region, Mid-Atlantic region. We've sent people to nationals. I went to nationals for seven years straight. We've had a couple national champions come out of our program. And now the great thing about not being an NCAA sport, we weren't limited to, I think it's four years or five years is right, your limit. So we were open to not only undergrads, but also grad students, faculty, staff, alumni. 
So wow. most of my competing was actually in my 20s. And I think that's one thing that gave us an advantage because this is true for other schools as well, but because MIT is a strong community and a lot of people, alumni are engaged or staff will get into it. Instead of having that typical turnover you get with undergrads where right, right. you join us a sophomore, you drop out senior year when you're busy, you've got two years of training. We had people who were training over and over and we just had a very large team. We had the resources and capacity and it was one of the best things I've done in my life. I'll, I'll tell you, that's also probably because I've, tried a little bit of it guys if you think it doesn't take a, a, a really good level of athleticism you really don't understand ballroom dancing it's really it's it's very demanding um and of course you know you have dancing with the stars that shows kind of the stuff that goes on there but i mean really to experience the the movement the physical needs as far as uh, fitness and things are it's pretty it's pretty demanding isn't it as a friend of mine described it, I love how he came up with this. If you want to think about what ballroom dancing is like, imagine running a 400 meter race in a tuxedo while balancing a plate on your head, oh, smiling the whole time and doing it to the beat. <laughs> and if you do that, you've just done round one of event one at your competition. Oh, geez. And of course, if you're a woman, you're doing it, but backwards and in heels. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is, wow, that's a good description. That's pretty. The, the other thing people don't know about ballroom, it is loud and noisy. It is great when you're at the competition and yeah, they have the music playing and you think, oh, it's everyone's dressed up. It's very formal, but everyone on the sidelines, they're cheering and they're shouting and they're calling out your number. And it is great when you've got that energy. Oh yeah. I oh, really yeah. miss that. Yeah. It's, it's, the support you get when you're a competitor in any team sport for that matter um that vibe that support vibe is just it's 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 hard to describe i mean the, the goosebumps you get from knowing you got a bunch of people there that are just cheering you on win or lose doesn't matter it just it just gives you a jazzed feeling it's 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 pretty awesome i agree so you you attended mit obviously um currently you are cto of of the company name again? I'm a fractional CTO at the moment. When I had my book come out, I decided I wanted to do some consulting work to give me flexibility to do wonderful podcasts like this one. Awesome, awesome. So at this point, fractional CTO, some people may not understand what that means. You wanna share what that is? So instead of being a CTO, a chief technology officer at one company, I am part-time at multiple companies. And the reason this works is for many companies, particularly small and mid-sized ones, they say, look, we don't have a full-time need. We might need some software developers, some IT people. We don't need that big strategic person 50 some hours a week, but we do need it maybe 10 hours a week. We need some guidance, some input. So I come in and just give them some direction and then step back and let them do the work. And this was a result of just uh, the book only, or was it just the, were there other opportunities that were available or how did that work out? My last startup company wound up closing down at the end of last summer in 2020. Uh, it's not totally dead. There's a bunch of lawsuits pending and some patent infringement because uh, we have this incredible patent portfolio. I think that will still be a positive outcome for me, but operationally, the company shut down at that point. And I looked and said, I have a book coming out. 
I've been doing, I think about 160 podcasts at this point. I knew that was going to take a lot of time and the talks and the other things I'm doing, the, what turned out to be a virtual tour. Nice. Um, I said, I need time and flexibility. So I just reached out to my network and said, you know what, I'm going back to consulting. I'm looking for some fractional work. And very quickly, I had some people say, love to get you involved in what we're doing. And that's given me the flexibility I need right now. What do you, what do you see has been some of the biggest challenges with CTO being a CTO um, out in the market right now? The biggest one is, this has been true for probably the past five, six years, hiring. Yeah. How they say, we need engineers, we need tech folks. They are in such demand. It is so hard to staff. I was chatting with someone earlier and she said she sees companies just go and offer other people 150% of their starting salary. It is the war for talent is yeah. so hot right now. It's about as bad as it was at the end of the dot-com era when I first started hiring. So 1999, start of 2004, the crash, we're I think back at that level. And so all CTOs, we want to staff up our teams we also very much want diversity on our teams. It's great in this community. We want women, LGBTQ, we want minorities, and everyone's competing for what's unfortunately a smaller pool with that. So it's very competitive. That's, it's, it's a reverse competition these days, is what you're saying. And what do you think that's attributing to? Is there not enough people aware of the fact of what's available or? It's we, the, the pipeline for building people has not kept up with demand. Got it. So if you think about a company 20 years ago, yeah, we had tech companies. We had Microsoft and oh, yeah. Google was starting around then, but you might've had some, uh, just some small non-tech companies. Let's, a food manufacturer mm -hmm. said, oh, we're, we're about making food. Yep. Well, what's happened over the last 20 years is they have to start building up some of their own systems. Oh, well, we have all this data we better do some data analysis. We need data scientists. They didn't need them 20 years ago. Right. They need to build some sort of proprietary software. They didn't need that 20 years ago. Yep. But of course, you can't just say, oh, who wants to be a computer scientist or a data scientist today? You've had to train for years. And so we haven't had the pipeline. It's now, now schools are starting to really push STEM. But remember, that's something that takes 20 years to get the output from. You know, that really, that really, um, it's interesting because I've heard the talk in and around STEM at the you know elementary and, and high school levels for the last five years, which tells me we're 15 years behind. Um, yeah, they've only like here in in Nevada where I'm at, STEM's been around for no longer than five years if I if I remember correctly, but it's still not at a 20 year level. And if that's the case, we're going to be struggling for a little while. How do we deal with that? Our entire education system really needs to change. And certainly we do need at the early levels, we do need in elementary schools, middle school in particular, emphasis on STEM. That's where a lot of people I believe tend to drop out and say, math is hard, I don't like science, I don't see why we're doing this. And that's where we lose people. We do need that, but we also have to change how education works. The concept of at 18, you go off to school, whether it's a vocational school or college, and you get the education you need, and then you work for 40 years, that model doesn't work anymore. Yeah. 
That's true. We tend to change not just jobs, but industries, mm -hmm. skill sets. Even if you stay in the same job, the technologies I use, I'm doing what my degrees are in, at least some of them. I'm still doing software. These technologies we weren't using, some of them didn't exist yeah. when I was in school. Mm -hmm. So we have to recognize there's a continual learning process and we need to both emphasize you need to learn a little every year, but also have this concept that every five, 10 years, you might formally get some training. You might go back to school for six months every 10 years to really upskill and focus for a bit instead of it's a one-shot deal for four years in your 20s. You know, the, the crazy thing is, and I work in, in marketing technology as well, um, and we deal with a lot of artificial intelligence. At my age, reading deep neural networks was not fun. I'm not a huge math guy. In fact, I hate statistics. But without that information, I would not understand what identity resolution is. I wouldn't understand how AI works. I wouldn't, and, and, I, and, and that book alone has you reading it from two different perspectives, programmer and executive. And, and as I was going through it and began to finally understand what's going on, it's like, we have a whole different landscape with technology, with the introduction of AI. It's nothing like what it used to be. It's no longer the old 101010. Now we're now we're talking about, you know, a machine that actually has the same firing synapses as our brain. We can still control it, thankfully, but this thing can learn now. So it's like teaching a child and then teaching that child on how to produce for us so that our businesses can do better and how all that works and more, et cetera, et cetera. If I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. It just you have to continuously upgrade your, your knowledge. And I don't, and we'll, right, the, the, the educational systems are not there and they're taking too long to catch up. Unfortunately, yes. And now what's happening with AI, it's what happened within the mechanical world. Mm -hmm. So we all know that when you go back a hundred years, you had someone on the assembly line and that person's job during mid-century and the, the latter part of the 20th century that job eroded. We started to say, we don't need you to turn the screw because this robot can turn the screw faster, better, 24-7. Yep. And so we started to lose people in manufacturing. Now in the US, we actually have a shortage of skilled manufacturing. No longer people can just turn a screw, but people who can build a solar energy installation. Yep. So higher end manufacturing. And because manufacturing had waned, we don't have the more senior skilled people to do what we need. We have a labor shortage there. Yep. What's happening in our white collar world, so we've said, okay, well, the robots are taking over the manual jobs, but not us. What are we doing? We're, we're thinking, we're building, we're doing things computers can't do. Well, computers are doing it now from things like writing articles. So for example, when you well, I'd say open your newspaper. No one opens the newspaper anymore. But if you actually go to what's the weather like today and I want to read the article and not just look at what the numbers are, that article is probably written by AI. Mm -hmm. Because look, a weather article, this isn't sophisticated. This isn't an interview with a world leader. This is, it's going to start off kind of cool and then the warm front's coming in, it's going to heat up. AI can do that. Reporting on baseball. We have AI that's writing about sports games. Yep. We also see, for example, in the legal world, what's happening in law, they're really getting upended. 
because it used to be you had all of these associates, right? All the first year, second year, third year, and read this and double check it for those missing pieces or something that's a little off. Yep. Now, yes, we've had spell check and grammar check and say you're missing a period. But now the AI is starting to say, you know what? You say dollars and you happen to be a US Canadian contract. You can't say dollars, I'm gonna flag that. Is it US dollars or Canadian dollars? Be explicit. You have a clause here that might not be clear or it's interpreted this way, is this what you meant? So the AI is getting smarter and it's yeah. taking away those rote, screw turning skills that we've done. What this means is that if our job was 70% turning the screw, we can't keep relying on that. We yeah. can, however, move up. The good news is we're not doing this road stuff and we have to figure out how to deliver more value to our customers and companies. Yeah, and it, it, that's, that becomes the new challenge. And that's interesting. Some of, the, some of the stuff that you mentioned as you're talking about AI writing out stuff, it's like, yeah, we deal with that too. And I am still floored to this day what it can write. Um, and how it's able to analyze things and come back with the results like what you were mentioning. Um, I didn't know it was illegal. That's news to me and that's going to be very interesting. Uh, we should probably have a further conversation on that uh, only because of what we do. Um, the, the, ideal, the ideal situation though at this point for those people who 70% were screw turning, what do they do? This is where you want to look to upskill. If your deliverability is simply knowledge, probably that knowledge can be replicated. We can get software systems that can pull in that knowledge, more knowledge, deliver the knowledge, act on the knowledge better than you can. But if we can upskill to higher level thinking, now what is that? Some of that might be strategic level thinking. So you're not saying, oh, is it Canadian versus US dollars on this contract? You're saying, how do we structure the contract to make this good for our client to make it acceptable for another? But then there are other skills, and this is what we've been teaching at MIT for the past 20 years in our Career Success Accelerator. And these are skills like communication, leadership, negotiation, networking. These are the skills that are going to make you more effective because it's not just about, I have knowledge, I solved the problem. These other skills are going to take that solution and let you apply them more effectively within your organization or within your industry. And that's where you're going to continue to deliver value. So these are the skills people need to focus on and develop. Yes, learn how to maybe not just turn the screw faster, how to turn a different, more complicated screw that AI can't yet do, right. but also focus on these other skills are going to let you take that solution and best implement it and get the best value out of it. That's extremely interesting and i want to continue on that track um, we got to take a short break real quick um guys we'll be back in 30 seconds because um, this is interesting stuff up, upskilling upgrading um back in 30 seconds. and we're back here java chat sitting here with mark hirschberg and having a hell of a good conversation especially when it comes to this leveling up um and and we were starting to talk about you know getting yourself ready for career which is something that by the way if I'm not mistaken, you're a professor at MIT too, right? You teach. I'm an instructor there for the past 20 years at MIT's Career Success Accelerator. Perfect. So this is the right guy to be talking to about this. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of people out there because this is this is it's being pushed. You know, go get educated, go get a higher degree, go get this, go get that. Upskilling isn't always about going to college. 
like you mentioned earlier, sometimes it's a vocational school. Sometimes it's not even about going to school, it's learning a trade. But upskilling as a new level of living and maybe even a higher level of consciousness, if you want to go there, for all my woo-woo friends, um, what, is, what, is it, what does that need to be? What does that need to look like for, for anybody when they're looking at, okay, I'm in a career, I got something good, you know, what should they be looking at as far as planning ahead so that when they don't miss the upskill when the market or the skill upticks, if you will? So certainly what you want to do in your career is think about where do you want to be in five years, 10 years, both a job you might be hoping to get, I want to get promoted, I want to move into this role, as well as what will the industry look like and what's my value proposition. And once you've defined that job in the future, when you say, here's where I want to be in 10 years, you can backtrack and say, to be in that role, there are certain skills and experiences I need. I have some of those, but there's a gap. So looking at that gap, how over the next 10 years do I fill that gap? And that might be with training, that might be intermediate roles to get you there. So you want to look to your ultimate goal down the road and then backtrack to create that plan. Now, when it comes to upskilling, we have to think about two different types. So the first is within our discipline. I mentioned earlier, I'm in technology. The technologies I'm using today didn't exist. I had to learn them because I was yeah. It yeah. couldn't be taught in college. Right. And all of us within our field, if you're an accountant, there's always new accounting rules. Mm -hmm. So we have to pay attention. But then there are these general skills. And typically, the higher you go in your career, the more important they are. Mm -hmm. These are the skills we mentioned earlier, leadership, communication, negotiation. I want to use the following analogy. This was taught to me by my friend, Professor Charles Lazerson. We're going to do a tiny bit of math. Do it. This is, don't worry, this is middle school math. Imagine you have a rectangle that's four by 10. Mm -hmm. You have to increase one of the sides by two units and you want to maximize the area. So do you increase the short side or the long side? And if you want, pause the recording right now and you, know, you can think, but <laughs> you've hopefully gotten the right answer. You want to increase the short side. You want to go from four to six and that gives you 60 units. Okay, great. What does this have to do with our careers and upskilling? Well, let's think conceptually what's happening. When you increase that short side by two units, those two units are being multiplied or amplified by that long side. The two gets amplified by the 10. If you put it on the long side, it's getting amplified by only the four. Yeah. <clears throat> All of us have long sides and short sides. The long side is typically whatever our discipline is video editing, marketing, wherever we are strong. And we do need to continue to develop that long side. But if you're only focused on that long side, that short side stays very short and you are very thin and narrow. When you emphasize these short sides and you put some time in, you're increasing your overall area. We've all experienced that person who might be a genius in his or her discipline, but can't communicate with people who don't have that knowledge. And even if you can get the right answer, and it's a better answer, or you get faster than anyone else because you are so long in that long side, but you don't know how to communicate, that answer is not going to be helpful to you or your organization. If you don't know how to lead, how to manage other people, doesn't matter if you're getting the right answer if you can't make the team execute on it. So what we want to do, because we have more than just two sides, yes, keep that long side going, but make sure we put some emphasis into our short sides. 
into these other skills because hour for hour, we get a much better return on our investment when we focus on some of these short sides. What are some of the short sides that you've seen typically uh, that could use development? The skills that I talk about, it comes from earlier you mentioned how you've seen this shortage and we have seen this time and again, surveys we've done at MIT of corporate America, surveys at other universities, there's a consistent set of skills that are being missed. And these are not just for college students or recent grads. Career planning, knowing how to work effectively within your organization, managing your manager, corporate culture, interviewing. I don't mean as a candidate, many of us in white collar jobs, we're involved in hiring. Yep. We always hear, well, we have to hire the best people, the right people. How come we've never trained anyone how to do this? Leadership and management skills. And even if you're saying, I don't want to be a leader, some people are saying, well, I'm not a leader yet. You're gonna learn that you are, or I never wanna be a leader. All of us from our first day on the job need to step up and be a leader. It's not about having the authority. It's about saying, hey, I wanna push us in this direction and here's why. You might not manage people as in these people report to you, you can tell them what to do, but we've all, you know, Mike, we've got to work together on our project. Hey, Mike, can you work on this part while I work on that part? Those are some that's management leadership. skills yes, just engaged in, yep. right? Yep. All of us need to manage people, even if we don't have authority over them. So leadership and management skills, negotiation, networking, communication, ethics. These are all the skills companies want, but we are just not teaching these skills at the university or high school level. Yeah, and they're not being taught at scale either by independence. Um, I actually had a, um, I had at one time a, a business etiquette training uh, program that I was offering. And I don't have the time for it anymore, but I mean, all of those skills that you're talking about are all in that. And it's, it's literally, it's a three-day program that teaches, I shouldn't say all of it, but a good portion of what you just mentioned especially when it comes to leadership. Um, most people don't realize that leadership is not, a, not necessarily an outside job. A lot of times it's an inside job. And I think, I think that's something that, I don't know why schools don't teach this stuff. Uh, that's another thing that blows my mind. It's like, why wouldn't you teach a young person how to lead themselves properly? They would worry less about what's going on outside of themselves. They would worry more about how they can actually add value to the world. They would, the social media probably wouldn't exist. Just saying, just another, just a, just, just saying, but I, I and, and by your smile, you're kind of agree. The, the bottom line is when we don't have those skills, we lose our, for lack of, a, of the right term, we lose our stasis in our position, in, in our organizations, sometimes even in society, because we start getting into all of the other issues, the mental issues. Why am I experiencing anxiety? Well, because you're not leading properly or you're not organized or you have no plan. I see that one a ton. Uh, I'm very glad that, that the universities have always had that kind of thing. Hey, if you want to do a career plan and go sit down with a counselor and they will, they'll have you write it out. Um, some universities have actual career planning uh, classes, which is phenomenal. Uh, you know, I, I believe UNLV and CSN have it here too. I don't see kids taking advantage of that. I don't understand that. I mean, why wouldn't you want to at least have some kind of vision to follow, uh, to be able to improve yourself and know, especially some of what you said, know your market, know what your, know what your, your particular field is doing 
and what's the projection. There's always guys telling you what's gonna what's gonna happen in your field. You know, whether you're you're a framing carpenter or a CTO, somebody's out there going, hey, this is what's next. Shouldn't you be looking at these things? So um, in MIT's program, what are some of the what are some of the, the success stories that you know of when people do lengthen that short side? Do you have any? Have a bunch. I don't want to name drop. We certainly have had a couple of our students go out and create some unicorn companies Love it. that you would have heard of. Uh, other great startups going into corporate America, taking senior leadership roles. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite moments from awesome. teaching. Awesome. Here's the key thing about these skills. They all come with a mental shift. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. often we're looking at the wrong way. Right? Yep. We're saying, well, leadership, I become a leader when I have a title. No, <laughs> you become a leader when you step up. Yep. So I'm going to share one of my favorite moments in networking. Awesome. Most people think of networking as I have to go out and collect a bunch of cards. Networking is just relationship building. Yeah. And so introverts, you think, oh, I have to talk to a bunch of strangers. Oh, I don't want to do this. But you know how to talk to people. You have friends. Even if you're an introvert, and I happen to be an introvert, we all have friends. So there was one moment at the end of this program, we have a networking lunch. We bring in a bunch of corporate partners, say this isn't a job fair. It's not walk up, hand your resume, chat for two minutes and move on. Have a conversation. Don't worry about whether they're looking to hire you or not. Meet people. And so I'm um, sitting with a group of students as the corporate folks start to come in, okay, start, you know, don't just sit at this table, now spread yourselves out, go meet people. And I, I had this feeling like a, a mother bird getting her little chicks <laughs> to leave the nest. Right, right. So most of them cautiously, nervously got up. And this one girl was sitting there. She was <laughs> really nervous and anxious about it. Yeah. So I took her over to a friend of mine who's one of the other instructors. And I knew he worked in a field she was interested in. I said, oh, you know, this is my friend. He does this. This is one of the students. She's interested in this. Introduce them. They start chatting. And after about two minutes, I step away to go look at some of the other students. And I'm wandering around the whole time. I'm trying to keep an eye on, we have hundreds of students, sure. uh, yeah. hundreds of other people. About two hours later, we give the notice, hey, we're wrapping up, finish up your conversations. We're going to return to the rest of the program. And I happened to catch her. And she looked at me as they had that announcement. She said, this is so much fun. I don't want it to stop. <laughs> and what happened prior to this moment, she said, oh, networking. I have to go talk to a bunch of strangers. I have to make stupid small talk. I have to collect business cards. This all sounds horrible. And once she recognized it's talking to people, getting to know them, learning interesting things, she shifted how she looked at. And from that moment on, she loved it. That one moment transformed her life. That's huge. And I love doing that with our students. That's huge. I, there's there's so many misconceptions too about some of the things within just within networking alone, like you just mentioned. I mean, the mere the mere term small talk. I mean, I've I've heard people say I don't have time for small talk. Well, then you don't have time to get to know people. You don't have time to build relationships. You don't have time to do business because that is part of what small talk is. It's not just about you know a process of just sitting around and talking about sports. It has nothing to do with it. It's about building that connection. You know, who are you? Without giving away the farm, so to speak, but it's who are you? 
who am I? Why are we here? What are we doing? You know, is, is there something here in common? And if there is, awesome, let's go dig on that. You, you come up with some of the, I mean, to this day, you come up with some of the greatest friendships in business. Of course, you might do business first, but somewhere along the line, all of a sudden you realize you're not actually like the person. This is human. This is humanness. That's just all it is. Um, we have the same thing here. I, I, I did a uh, abbreviated business etiquette training over, over business lunch, and it was for the UNLV ambassadors. Had a blast with them. Um, we went over to a place called Brio, Italian place. They did a U-shape, and they had me sitting on one corner of it and all of the students sitting around, and everybody ordered food. And I specifically had them set up the menu a certain way to see what everybody would order. Um, and this goes back to, you know, what are you going to eat when you're actually at a business dinner? When do you eat? When do you order your drinks? When do you do the whole the whole thing, uh, including the, the table set? And they, they had a pretty good full set. I mean, it wasn't everything, but it, it had, you know, a couple forks, a couple spoons and everything. And I was looking at them like, anybody know what this is? <laughs> and of course, you get all of these blank looks like, is this for the, is this for, I'm like, yeah, 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 we'll get to it in a minute. My biggest one was, we're not eating yet. We're standing up and we're going to meet each other. And then we handed out these labels. Everybody got a, a title and a, and a name. And they went around. They had a blast doing that. And there were a couple of people in there that were like, you're, you're a young lady. And was, you know, I'm not really sure what to do. And I, so I walked up and introduced myself and said, this is who I am. This is what I do. Who are you? Oh, my name is. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's a good start. Uh, so what do you like to do for fun? And they just go, Kum. it's just like, you asked me something about me, not what I do. I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of the point, isn't it? I need to know who you are in order for me to feel comfortable doing anything with you, as far as business is concerned, for sure. It was a lot of fun. It's good. It's good to, it's wonderful to see those aha moments, isn't it? It, it is. And that's what I love the most about teaching is watching the light bulb go on. I think... I, and I wish we would see a lot more of it. Maybe it's just the, the system's antiquated, but I think a, a good portion of our education ought to be directed in getting our youth to that aha moment. Because once they realize it's not, it's not half as bad as they think it is, we get these performers and introverts like you and me. I'm a closet introvert. I'll be the life of the party, but after that, I'm off to the mountain and I have to be alone. Um, but we get, these, we get these people that are just, their brilliance comes out. And all of a sudden we see all these unicorn companies like what you're talking about. Uh, coming out of out of the woodworks, like where did this guy come from, or how come we've never heard of this person before? If somebody's going to take a, a a moment to really look at going to college, whatever class of college that is, what are some of the considerations you think are matter when they're when they're thinking about that? Because it's part of that is them obviously wanting to get an education. Where does upskill come into that? Well, let's look at even broader because you've brought up a few times our education system isn't really teaching this. Let's understand why. Our modern primary and secondary system through high school, yeah. that goes back about 150 years. Yeah. Prior to that, you were growing up on the farm and you learned from your parents what you needed to do to keep that going. As we became an industrialized nation, as people started to work in the factories, we need an educated workforce. Yep. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yep. You couldn't function without it. Yep. And that's expanded. You need to learn some civics and some history. 
And that's what our modern education system is based on. It's just teaching you these skills to be functional in society. To work in a factory, you don't have to be a leader if you're just turning screws. Even when you went to corporate America, if you were that 1950s accountant and your boss came in and said, this is what I need you to do. And you say, yes, sir, I'll punch the numbers and I'll yep. give you the result. Yep. You weren't doing a lot of that higher order work. Things changed roughly about 40 some years ago. You could argue 20, 30, 40. We saw middle management got gutted. Yeah. And so we went to a flatter system. We went to more integrated teams in a modern company you're not just in the marketing department by yourself. You're working with the finance team and the software team and all these other people with different yep. skill sets. It's yep. flatter. It's more dynamic. So you need a different set of skills. Our high school system has not changed or adapted. Yeah. And that's potentially okay that high school doesn't teach this if we're going to get in other ways. And let's also recognize we're short on other skills. You mentioned, for example, financial literacy. I think that's right up there with reading, writing, arithmetic, things like financial literacy, things like how to have a disagreement. You and I might disagree on whether it's just an approach to our business or a political disagreement, but how can we respectfully say, well, I think we should prioritize this or that instead of just calling each other names. Those are skills we should be teaching. Yeah. Now at yeah. the college level, the reason this isn't taught, it's also for historical reasons. Colleges go back about 900 years when yeah. we first started developing them. And they were a bunch of people who said, we're going to go deep in some particular area, marketing, physics, whatever. Yep. Colleges are now run by these very deep people, these people with PhDs or professors. And let's think about what that college degree means. If you go off to college and you want to study marketing, the professors say, well, if you want to be a marketer, if you want to have this degree, we've decided you have to take these intro classes, mid-level, certain advanced classes, these are required, pick some of whatever set of advanced classes. If you do enough of that, and if you throw in some general requirements that the university wants, one math, one history, yeah. one language, sure. we're going to give you a marketing degree. What does that degree really say? It says you've taken a certain number of marketing classes. You've acquired a certain level of marketing knowledge. It doesn't actually say you're a good marketer. It doesn't say you know what you're doing. It says you would know this knowledge. Hopefully you can apply it well, but it doesn't say you're a good marketer. It doesn't say you're a good teammate, employee, leader, anything else. Yep. Yep. Now, there's some correlation that if I'm hiring a marketer, I'm more likely to hire someone with a marketing degree than say a philosophy degree. Little correlation, but it doesn't promise. It provides a floor, but not a ceiling for your capabilities. And the university system has not said, we are in the business of creating good employees. They've said, we're just in the business of making sure you've acquired knowledge. Yep. That needs to adjust as well. And I think, I'm hoping COVID has accelerated some of that because everyone's starting to say, why am I spending all this money on a university? Is this leading to a successful career and not just, I got some knowledge. But even so, universities will take decades to adjust and adapt. And so unfortunately, we're not getting these skills as we noted at that level yet either. So when you go to college, what you want to do is certainly look at, do they have the degree programs you're interested in? Does it have the environment, an urban, a rural, large size, small size? But I would say the other important things 
you want to look at the sense of community. Are you going to be meeting other students there? Will you get to engage with other faculty? How's the alumni network? And how is your exposure? It could be exposure to things like ballroom dancing. That yeah, really was like, one of the best things they did at MIT. MIT, we had a bell ringing group, right? That's totally random. There was an electric car club. And these oh, are things, cool. yeah, you don't get access to this. If I want to build an electric car, I live in midtown Manhattan. There's not a bunch of other people I say, let's all get together and build an electric car. College gives you the opportunity to expose you to a whole bunch of different things. And I think that's a very important part of the college experience. So make sure, and I'm not saying you have to have the electric car club. If you go to some small college, you're not going to have the same level of access as a large university, but make sure there are things that give you some access to different things, people and knowledge and experiences that is a key part of the college experience. Insane wisdom, very much appreciated. Um, you're like the first one that's said all of that. So, and I'm, and I'm, <laughs> and coming from a gentleman from MIT, even better. So thank you very much for sharing that. Guys, we're going to take one more 30 second break. When we come back, we want to talk about Mark's book and uh, what he's up to next. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Hey guys, we're back. Java chat, coffee with Mike sitting here with Mark Hirschberg. We just had one hell of a <clears throat> discussion in the last section. If you guys weren't listening, rewind, go back and listen because it was phenomenal. Uh, we were talking about upskilling and how it affects uh, each person uh, as an individual and how that can in turn affect whole organizations, whole communities. You know, uh, I akin it to awareness, awareness of self, self-leadership and things of that nature and improving of self so that you can then share that improvement with others and hopefully inspire them to do the same thing. Um, the last section that we, he's got a book out and I think it's called the career toolkit. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. So tell us about the book and then we'll talk a little bit more about this, this whole development thing. Cause you, you brought up a point on the break that I, I definitely want you to share. The book is the career toolkit, essential skills for success that no one taught you. And this takes the skills that we've been talking about, what I've been teaching for 20 years at MIT, the skills we know are wanted in corporate America, wanted in startups, wanted by founders, wanted by everyone, but that aren't being taught. And so each chapter, there's 10 chapters, 10 different skills, each one gives you that mental shift, how to look at differently, to perceive in a new way that's gonna open new opportunities for you, followed by a number of tactical, things that you can do, action items, things to actually execute on this newfound understanding to improve and be better and elongate that short side. So there's the book. There's also, by the way, a free companion app available on iPhone and Android. Because one thing that happens when you read a book like this, go, oh, that's great. It's so much information. You're going to forget 90% of it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> download the app. Each day, it's going to pop up a little notification with one of the tips from the book. And that's going to help reinforce it for you. Completely free, available for Apple and Android, and linked from the website. And it's called the Career Toolkit on the, on the App Store and the and Google Play. It's called the Career Toolkit app, and awesome. you can go to my website and just click app, and it will take you right to those links on the on the stores. And of course, everybody that knows us knows that the the, the link for your website will be down below in the comments, and we'll make sure to. So you're still teaching at MIT. Um, what other things are you doing? Are you are you speaking anywhere? You got any engagements coming up that people can either watch you on live, watch you on you know YouTube or something, or what, how how can they find you? 
I am still teaching at MIT. I'm doing different engagements. So there's a few that are public. Uh, those just come up from time to time. Now that COVID is starting to wane, not over, but waning, yeah. I'm now starting to do more events. So I've been brought into different companies, different universities to go in and do talks, do workshops. Conferences are starting to come back. So I'm lining up a couple of keynote talks at conferences. Sweet. And it's been in conferences, you know, it's pretty interesting there what tends to resonate networking because mm -hmm. we have been so isolated and now we're getting back in person. A lot of these conferences are saying, well, everyone's back. Everyone's excited to be back. How do we make the most of this time together? I have a lot of talks on different topics in my book. Unlike many books, it's not, here's the one big idea. Here are 10. And so I have different talks around different topics and networking's resonating well there, but the others, the career planning and universities, the negotiation, the leadership, the communication, uh, those are big, a lot of companies and some conferences I'm speaking at. Sweet. Hopefully one of these days you get out here to Las Vegas, would love to see one of your, your talks. I, we have ways of getting into conferences. So just let me know if you're out here. <laughs> I'll, I'll actually be in Reno in about a month. Really? Um, yeah, the University of Nevada, Reno. Lobos. All Lobos, cool. Uh, yeah, and you're, you're obviously you're gonna be talking about career development or something of that nature up there? Uh, career development, leadership, networking and negotiating. I think those are the four topics we're emphasizing. I'm there for, I think a day, day and a half, uh, doing a number of events for students, for grad students, for faculty development. So they're, they're buying into this uh, whole hog and nice. I'm very excited to be there and do more than just a single talk with them. That, that, that brings up a, a point and, I, and this goes right back to what you were mentioning on the break. Um, that sounds like the university has picked up on the fact that there needs to be internal development, not just student development. What does that mean for a company? How does that look? So companies also need to do more proactive development. Now I mentioned with the book, I said, there's an app because you read the book and then you're gonna quickly forget it. Yeah. Well, the same thing is true for a lot of our training. We say, oh, Mike, you're a rising star. I'm gonna send you to our leadership development program. It's a two day course. You go off. Well, first you're gonna forget that three <laughs> weeks later. Two days, wow, second, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, second, that is not the right way to learn the skill. Now we have typically done knowledge transfer that way. And that works that some expert stands up and says, here's everything you need to know. And if we're bringing in a new accounting system and say, Mike, here's a new accounting system. Here's how to file invoices. Say, okay, great. I made some notes. And three weeks later, do you remember when to do it? Well, yes. When you say, oh, wait, I have to submit an invoice. You go, right. Okay. I just learned how to do it. Hopefully you remember, maybe not, but you know exactly when and where to apply that information when you're using the accounting system. If I send you to a leadership class, three weeks later, it's 2.58 in the afternoon, and you don't have an alarm going off saying, oh, now is when I apply leadership. Yeah, At exactly. that moment, right, someone comes up with a question, are you consciously saying, how do I use this skill? It's a lot more subtle. And so doing that one-shot training, that doesn't work well. Yeah, what you wanna do, whether you send people to a training course, whether you bring me into your company or bring in someone else, what you wanna do is create an internal development program. And here's how you can do one for little or no money. 
you want to create effectively peer reading groups. Also, you might think of this as an ERG, employee resource group, but instead of around maybe attributes, instead of a women's group or an LGBTQ group, and those are great groups, keep those, but you want to create these learning groups around perhaps a particular skill or just general development. And what you can do, you can take a book like mine, you can chop it up into pieces. I have some free downloads on how to do this. You chop it into pieces and you say, all right, this week we're reading pages 10 to 20. And we're gonna read it and every week, two weeks, month, whatever your cadence is, you get together and discuss it. Because as we're in this group talking about it, I'm gonna say, you know, I have this communication challenge and I'm not quite sure, I'm thinking of doing this and you're gonna chime in and say, well, you know, Mark, what about doing it this other way or adding this in, or I was in a similar situation and I'm going to learn from that. And you're gonna learn from my experiences because this is not knowledge transfer. There's no three steps to being a leader. Mm -hmm. There's no do this and you're communicating well. It's subtle, it's complex, it's cir circumstantial. So having these discussion groups brings in that subtlety and complexity it also keeps it top of mind by having that regular cadence every week or two, it stays top of mind. So at 2.58 PM, I don't have to remember to something a month exactly. or two ago. It's, oh, what I did the other week. Right, exactly. And this is costing you nothing. You can basically, you've okay. got your groups, you can have HR run it, and you just need to say, buy a book like mine. If you don't wanna use my book, Use another book. I list a number of great books on my website. Use your favorite leadership, management, business book. Use online articles, videos. Use great podcasts like this one. Listen to Mike's podcast and then say, we're going to discuss what we learned in the podcast. <laughs> the key idea is that you take a source and everyone listens to it. Then you have that discussion because it's in that discussion that you get the real learning. And this is how we teach you at MIT. This is how top business schools teach these skills by having these discussions. You can download a free resource on my website, how you can actually create these groups, how you can use my book if you wanna use it. All companies really need this engagement because you can't send people off to these one shot, hey, you learned leadership for two days, check, done, now you're a leader. Some of the oldest companies, that, that's, that's how they did operate, well, before I left corporate America. Um, it was, yeah, here, you'll go learn, like my, my favorite, by the way, which was a great program, was the Green Book that the Ritz-Carlton used to have. One of the greatest programs I've ever seen in customer service as far as the hospitality industry, uh, where they empowered their employees. The employees would still take some time to get used to how much empowerment they actually had, while others took, took right off with it and were able to take care of things and handle business and make sure that customers remained loyal. I mean, I was at the property in Kapalua, Maui, we had people come back every year, same time every year, specifically because of the Green Book training. Now, not everybody remembered what all was in the book, but they remembered certain parts of it. As we went through it, it was a one-time shot. There were times where I could have done stuff as a manager that I didn't realize I could do it. An employee hit it, and I was like, okay, that's kind of embarrassing. I missed it. And I had to go back and go, you know, go back to my managers, my directors, and go, we can do this. I had no idea. And it's like, it's in the book. I'm like, dude, how many times do you see me reading the book? And how much time do I actually have to read the book considering I'm like this level manager, which is usually here about 18 hours a day versus you guys that are only here about 10 and 12 hours a day. So it's, you speak of a really fair and, and, and valid point. There has to be continual development. And, and guys, just so you guys know, 
we're, we're grabbing his book because one, I want to see what's in it. Um, but at the same time, I have interns and these interns would probably value well what's in this book and the app, it's just certain, so on and so forth. So make sure that you guys take a look at his, his website. Um, anything if, else happening in your world? Uh, and by the way, if you do the math on this, if you do one hour every other week, that's 26 hours in the year. That's about 1% of a 2000 hour work year. If 1% of time is dedicated to improvement, and you got a 1% improvement in people, just 1%, what's that going to do to your bottom line if everyone was 1% better at communicating, at having a better network, at being better leaders? Right? That's massive. So this is a low-cost, easy program. on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform, a production of Oasis Media Group, LLC, located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. For more information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. A production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.